Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Metatopia panel, Retail Perspective, Designing for Pandemic Sales in 2021. Uh, my name is Brian Dalrymple. I am the owner of the Adventure Game Store in Dragon's Lair, uh, which is an FLGS uh, located in South Florida. Uh, I also am a partner in the Adventure Game Society Board Game Cafe, uh, which is located directly next door uh, and is imperiled <laughs> at the moment. Uh, and uh, I have been a retailer for 30 years. Uh, our store celebrated its 32nd anniversary last month. The cafe uh, just recently turned one, uh, although it didn't really technically get through a whole year. Uh, and uh, I served for over 20 years on the board of directors of Gamma, the Game Manufacturers Association, the uh, Trade Industry Association for our industry. And uh, uh, in addition to that, uh, I also am a partner in a publishing company, Alligator Alley Entertainment. Uh, we produce role-playing games, uh, and I worked for a while in distribution for the company that is now called GTS Distribution. And I'm Patrick Day. Uh, I have a way less impressive resume than Brian there, uh, but I'm one of the owners of Uncle's Games. We're a bunch of board game stores up in Washington State. Uh, we have two in the Seattle area and two in the Spokane area, which is kind of cool. It's pretty interesting because they have a really different demographics. Um, real family focused, uh, and I also helped launch a small uh, board game convention out here called Evergreen Tabletop Expo that now Craig Stockwell oversees, um, which I know they didn't host this year because of COVID, but hopefully in the future it'll be back uh, in Boomin. And yeah, uh, I've helped being living in the Seattle area. There's a lot of game designers and publishers in the area, so. I uh, my name is in the fine print on the credits of a lot of games as a playtester, uh, a couple even with development. Um, so, yeah, hanging out with the Seattle community is pretty common for me as well. So, there you go. So, uh, this panel is, is supposed to be uh, talking about game design uh, optimally for, uh, for sales in retail stores during pandemic, but we're actually going to be uh, talking in more uh, broad terms. Uh, trying to give you some idea of what the state of retail uh, is currently compared with what it had been in the past. Uh, and we're also going to be talking about other elements of game publication, uh, apart from design, that might also help move stores uh, through the retail channel uh, as well. So I guess what we want to start with is uh, to give you some kind of idea about the way things are now versus the way they uh, have been in the past, and I, I still like, yep. like uh, Patrick just lead that off. Yeah, well, I was just wondering, Brian, what did what did your store look like? Can you just give me the like elevator pitch of what your store looked like before COVID, and then kind of the the post, like what it looks like now? What, what sure. 
if I walked in in let's say November 2019 and I walked in it now, what would be the contrast that I would notice? So if you'd walked in a year ago, uh, we would have been just ramping up the cafe. We would have been in soft open. Uh, and uh, both the store side and cafe side would have been full of people. Uh, there would probably, probably have a hard time finding an empty table. There'd be a ton of largely role-playing games going on, but there'd also be some board gaming and some card gaming happening. Um, the, uh, the shelves would look fairly amply stocked, but we would have some of them, because uh, our, our shelves are on uh, casters, uh, so we can push them around to make room for uh, events when we need extra table space. Uh, this time of year, we would be talking about uh, the Black Friday sale that would be coming up. Uh, we were pushing memberships at the time, uh, and we the cafe was, uh, at that time, we, hit, uh, we were just moving into food sales, so uh, we would have had our kitchen up and running. There would have been hot food ready. I don't think we had the soda fountain installed at that point, but it was in process. Uh, and uh, it would just be there'd just be a lot of people coming in here. There'd be a couple of staff working, trying to handle everything on the store side, and there'd be somebody on the cafe side uh, uh, trying to take care of food orders and making sure everybody is fine. Uh, uh, and, oh, oh, and it's a Sunday. Sounds like so. Am I not the only one who seen Brian kind of break up there? Sorry about that. We have a we have a storm going down here, and it is uh, it's Brian's actually got a hurricane almost hitting him right now. So I wonder, I, but I can't tell if maybe it's me or him. Uh, and then, so additionally, yeah, I'm, I'm, I apologize. Uh, additionally, in our cafe side, in our streaming studio, there would have been a Twitch stream, Twitch streaming outfit, broadcasting uh, two role playing games all day long. Uh, in the uh, in the studio from early in the morning till late at night with uh, full video and audio uh, streaming out onto Twitch, uh, uh, pushing uh, D&D and Esper Genesis. And uh, so it would have been just a hub of activity. There have been a, a ton of people here in here a year ago. Uh, yep. And what it looks like now is there's like nobody here. It's uh, we're not We don't have really events going on. I want to say there's no events, but there's almost no events taking uh, yep, I think we have maybe two, two, like two and a half games happening every week. We have one that's every other week, and we have a couple that are small groups, miniatures gamers that are kind of by nature distanced, uh, that uh, can play across the table uh, with a low number of people per table, uh, and then we have a pod of people that quarantine together that come down to play as well. So, gotcha, uh, board games and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, the shell, the, the shelves now. Um, are taking up more space. We've added in some extra shelving units and spinners because we've added inventory. Uh, the amount of inventory in the shop is probably half again as much uh, because we, we sunk a lot of our disaster loan money into making sure that we were well stocked. Uh, because also, as you can tell from the uh, postal uh, supplies that are sitting behind me on the shelf back here, we are transitioning into uh, shipping a lot more than we were in the past. Initially, to lo local shipping to our local people. But since we were allowed to open back up, they've been more coming into the shop uh, to pick things up. But uh, nobody's sticking around to game. Uh, we're not demoing games. We're not playing games. Uh, although we do have people coming in looking for games that they can take back with them. Uh, and that's kind of the major difference for us. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds pretty similar to where we are. It especially sounds similar to where 
you're you have a little bit more gaming than what we have going on yet but as soon as we get to like the next phase in our county we would be right where you're at um so uncles is a I have to speak broadly because there's four stores, but it's uh, mostly in malls and we're super focused on being family friendly. In a lot of ways, we're often the gateway for customers from Monopoly to like real gaming. Um, We deal a lot with moms who are walking in the store all the time being like, my kid brought home these magic cards. I don't know what they are. Um, But we are also definitely tilting more and more towards that kind of experiential retail um, we had just renovated one of our stores and really opened up uh, gaming space more. Like it had tables before, but now it had many more tables, and that was much more the focus of the store. Another one of my stores, we were we had just applied for a snack bar license, so that we were going to start to bring in like a uh, bottled alcohol, and we had extended our hours into the late evening so that people could hang out into the evening, and we were kind of really going shifting from what I would call a much more hybrid classic retail and game hangout into even more of that kind of experiential hanging out game playing sort of store not quite full cafe but maybe like one step maybe as close as you could get to that without actually starting to serve food and that kind of thing right um so that was kind of the direction we were going you know uh shelves well stocked well lit like that's always kind of our thing friendly people and then COVID hit, and it's um, it's really made a dramatic shift back into that real kind of classic retail. Um, that honestly, as long as I, you know, when I came into retail, I feel like it was the rise of experiential retail, and everything has been about like the experience. It's not just, you know, we're not just shelves with games that we're selling. So it's a big shift for me because this feels much more like classic retail is the direction that uncles has had to go in a post-covid world um we spend a lot more time i notice just kind of helping customers out on the phone um kind of building almost walking customers through games uh on the phone we built a web store which we didn't have before so we're selling stuff online and pointing people that direction we built a discord server so that our communities while they couldn't meet in the store had a place to kind of at least keep connected talk to each other they still will organize like magic arena via discord or whatever um but like we are right now are at a place where we can't really based on what the state has said and the phase that our counties are in um can't really host in-store events um and so it's just a it's a very different experience and also there's a contrast in that some of our stores are in outdoor malls and people are way more open to kind of walking around in outdoor malls and some of our stores are in indoor malls and our indoor malls are very quiet um so yeah, it's it's been really interesting to kind of need to rethink uh, and kind of uh, tap into that more classic retail experience of you know learning people's names, welcoming them in the store, and less of that kind of hosting an event uh, experiential retail. So that's that's kind of the contrast I would say. Um, and we'll get into how that impacts game design and games, but I just I wanted to know kind of where you were at, Brian, with your store, and where I'm at. You know, let people know what they can expect and how it's different. So, and I think it'll be, I think that at best by early next year, we might be closer to where you're at, where we're starting to host some smaller scale, you know, things like wargaming, um, maybe some real 
limited player count magic I could see with big tables, something. But until we move out of, I think we're in uh, phase two right now, until we move to phase three, uh, none of the uncle stores here in the Pacific Northwest would be able to do that kind of thing. Yeah, we were we were in phase two. We're in South Florida. So South Florida, Florida moved into, into earlier phases of recovery uh, as a state earlier than our counties did. Uh, South Florida was kept uh, actually in phase one in, late into August. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we spent a little bit of time in phase two uh, and, and only just recently kind of opened uh, back up into phase three. And the, the difference between these phases uh, for phase one, it's kind of pretty much you can't do anything, right? And then in yeah, phase and two, every state's different. Yeah, yeah. In, in in phase two for us, we were we were technically allowed because the cafe the cafe uh, is is uh, zoned and operates under different laws than the store does because they're two separate uh, uh, bays. Uh, the cafe is technically an eatery and was following the rules for eateries and restaurants. Sadly, since the uh, since the food that we were serving in the cafe was kind of like roller rink or bowling alley food, it's not the sort of thing that people would want to get delivered to their house. You know, soft pretzels and hot dogs and frozen pizza and empanadas and stuff like that. You wouldn't. It's not something you necessarily want to have uh, uh, brought over to you or curbside delivered. It's fine stuff for when you're sitting down playing a game, uh, but uh, we could not follow some of the different options for food service that a lot of the other eateries around us could. Um, but we also in being an eatery, we were allowed once we moved into the later phases to allow for small numbers of people to come and sit at tables. Uh, but just because we were allowed to do that didn't mean that people were actually coming down to do it. In fact, it's entirely the opposite case. People were not coming down to do that by and large. Um, and we have a ton of people that are jonesing and really want to come in and play games. Uh, and what we found since, uh, Things have opened back up a little bit more is that the games uh, that we're playing in the shop prior to lockdown are pretty much impossible to bring back at this point. Uh, and that's probably a good thing uh, in general. Uh, because if you had a group that was, you know, an RPG group of six or seven people and four of them wanted to come back and play, but one or two like, couldn't because uh, they, they weren't ready or they had a family member that was you know, compromised and they didn't think it would be a very good idea. If one or two people can't come out of an existing group, it stops the whole group from coming back in. Uh, but we have in the last couple of weeks, since we've moved into later phases and we've, we've had uh, larger groups allowed to play, uh, we've tried to start new games and we've seen a lot more positive response with that. So as long as we're being careful and we've got distance and hand-washing and masks in place, we've been able to get some games off, but it's a far cry from where we were before. And we were exploring the same situation. Like, we were getting ready to go into beer and wine. I'm really glad we didn't uh, spend the money for the license. Uh, we, we were supposed to have our grand opening at the end of March, so we got uh, locked down kind of right in the middle of that. Uh, but on the balance, the store right now, since things have opened back up, it's actually doing okay. Our numbers for the summer were actually up around 10% from the previous year. I think in part because there is, there's a real sense among the community that they want to support the shop. There's a sense among shoppers in general that they want to support local rather than give the money to Jeffrey. Uh, and uh, because our focus in the shop is largely on the board game and RPG side, uh, those are the categories uh, in general for us that we've seen a lot of uh, 
of increased velocity in because it's the kind of thing people can take home uh, and play with their pod uh, and, and have some fun with. Uh, we, are, we were not a big magic location or a big Warhammer location uh, prior to lockdown. And so if there has been market uh, drops in the sales in those categories, it hasn't affected our bottom line as much because we were more board game focused, focused to begin with. Um, so in that way, the store is, has actually been doing pretty well. Like I said, sales were up uh, over the summer. They dropped off at the end of October. Uh, and I think that's partly some maybe, maybe election anxiety figures into that. We had a lot of really bad weather, which we continue to have going on right now. There's another tropical storm uh, right outside my door. Uh, but we have rain, solid heavy rain every single day for the entire month of October. Uh, and that's usually when the rain abates down here. But uh, not this year. That's rough. Uh, so we, we had a lot of that, and 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 then I, I think PS Five deposits ate into a little a little bit of of store sales. But overall, the store has been pretty solid and can and can bear itself. The cafe is in really bad shape, and if you are uh, uh, a person who is a fan of uh, game cafes, or if you talk to people that have game cafes across the country, I think they're going to be in really really rough shape. The business model that we had in the cafe was memberships to come and play and food sales. Uh, and if we had a lot of people in the cafe, it meant the store did well also. Uh, but with the cafe sitting empty, the store is still doing well because we're seeing business on the store side, but the cafe has been at zero revenue since March, and our rents clicked back up to full rent at the end of the summer, so we are on borrowed time uh, on the cafe side. So if, if we, there's not some kind of assistance, yeah, it is. I mean, we're... We're trying to do everything, everything we can. We're talking about because we have, because we have the capabilities to do game publication here. Uh, we're actually uh, throwing the idea around of publishing a, a monthly zine uh, from people who are members in the cafe uh, and putting it out there on Patreon or some uh, or some way to try to get some support to keep the space open. Because we've all got a really good sense that once we do get past this, however many months down the road that is. There's going to be a very high demand for play space. People are going to want to get back together and play face to face. Absolutely. Uh, they're already itching to do it now. And if we lose the spot, it's going to put us in a really bad situation. Especially uh, if you can store, deliver it in a pl in a way that feels safe to everybody, right? And so yeah, I think no, that's exactly. going to be. I think there will be a big swing. It'll be really important to create a comfort level for people, uh, especially because I know at least we can get into this in a little bit, but everybody kind of has different expectations. So like even with customers, I'm sure you see there are people that are much more cautious than other people, right? And that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. so being able to create a space where all the different levels of caution feel safe coming together is going to be, I think, really important. So yeah. what? Uh, we've, we've been, we, oh yeah, sorry. Try, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to ask, what games have you seen in super high demand um, post-COVID? Like what's, what's the thing for me the number one thing that doesn't connect with this group is jigsaw because um, we already sell sold a lot of jigsaw and i actually brought in so we do bit two big jigsaw orders a year and i brought in everything i thought i was going to need until uh october back in march was the order and it sold out by the end of april and so that wow. doesn't necessarily connect with this panel, but Jigsaw has just been crazy. But what else? What games types have you seen selling, or what specific games? 
that, that that totally makes sense to me because we don't carry a jigsaw. You know, our 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 main store is only about 1,100 square feet, uh, and right now it's filled to the brim, top to bottom, with uh, with tabletop stuff. Uh, but we've had a lot of requests and questions uh, from uh, customers asking if we if jigsaw was something that we were going to do. So that totally makes sense. Uh, our strongest category since uh, since lockdown by far and away has been uh, uh, tabletop board and card games, uh, non-collectible card games, uh, and uh, cooperative games and two-player games by far have been like the highest demand stuff. Absolutely. Things that can be played with one or with one or two people in small groups have been like huge sellers for us. Uh, I, have, I was already in the, in the process of creating a two-player game specific section in the shop uh, mm -hmm. prior to lockdown, and uh, that's been where we've seen most of the activity. Uh, and like you, uh, during lockdown, we didn't have a website uh, last year, uh, and mm -hmm. we, we put one together in April uh, initially just to serve the local community. Uh, yeah, we did the same thing. But it started to spread out. I mean, there's people, you know, if they find the website and they're, I don't know, on the East Coast, I don't mind sending it out to them. They pay the shipping or whatever. So, yeah, we, same thing. We, we use that, the PPP loan essentially to build a web store is really what we did. Oh, that's cool. We, we, uh, we uh, with, with some advice from some of our publisher uh, partners, uh, we, we settled on a Shopify uh, program. Yeah, uh, And that worked out really well for us. Yeah, because Alliance has uh, converted their inventory over so it could be imported directly into Shopify, uh, and that saved us on the data entry side of things. When we opened up the shop, we did really well locally because people just were not coming in for curbside at all. But we were, we were sending stuff out to people in the local area, and our, our pricing structure on the website was not set up to compete with Jeffrey or any of the discounters that were out there. You know, I mean, we're selling stuff for the price right. that we're selling in the shop. It's just a, a different way for local customers to be able to buy from us. When we were able to open back up in June uh, for people to come into the shop in, in, in small numbers, um, all of that local delivery stuff, it's 90% of it fell off. Uh, yep, but we same did, here. We, we did, like you said, uh, start to see some orders coming in, especially from overseas. I mean, we sent a bunch of stuff to Europe uh, in the last couple of months. When I say a bunch, I mean, it's, it's you know three or four orders a month. I have been going out to Europe, and then we probably had about as many, maybe a little more, into other parts of the U.S. But web traffic has fallen off a lot, and I think as a result, the attention that I give our web store has decreased as I'm spending more of my, my time trying to serve my local customers that are coming in as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I For us, it's been very similar. So I would say we did have two-player sections already in all of our stores, so we were that was great because it's just now we have to stock those much heavier. Um, they are, honestly, I need to expand space because we uh, two-player games. It, there's just no amount of two-player games, and even I was thinking like one-player games, uh, the lower player like three-player games, like Ticket to Ride, Nordic Countries is specifically designed for that lower player count, so that sells really well. Anything also like um, there's a hunger I think for party mechanic games that can be played with a lower player count because it, you can't really play a party game right now a lot um, because you can't gather in those kinds of numbers. But people still desire playing games with those kinds of mechanics. So things like um, Codames Duel, like anything where it feels like I'm playing a party game even though I have less players is like that is super hot for us right now 
Um, and then the other thing is, I think everybody's like shell shocked right now, and so they really want kind of classic. I think you were talking about this before we got on, like classic, comforting stuff, like simple mechanics. Um, like a perfect example of this to me is Llama, where it, it essentially is like a new Uno. Um, and so it's it's a classic feeling family game with simple mechanics the mind is another one hanabi's another one right like these games that like maybe they are new games but they fit more into the aesthetic of like classic feeling games those are the kinds of games we're selling like crazy are you also i'm seeing a lot of people who are discovering my store for the first time which is something i did not expect um, come in and be like, oh, I didn't know you were here, which I, I don't know why that is, but maybe people are just exploring outside of their zones a little more. We've seen a bit of that. I mean, we, that's kind of a normal part for the course for us during a, during a, like a non-pandemic uh, time yeah. because we're in a, an area that we're, we're a cruise ship port. Uh, we're an international destination. Uh, and uh, we have, we also have a very transitory population just in general. So people are constantly moving in and moving out of town. So for, I'd say for at least half of our potential customers in a given year, we're a brand new shop to them, even though we've been 32 years old, uh, because people will just come and go. But yeah, I definitely think we've had a lot of people that have come to visit us for the first time uh, it, uh, with the intention of, of supporting a local business. Uh, yep, absolutely. That's it, it, also been cool too, just to see local neighborhoods kind of rise up around us in a way you know, we, we have always talk about Jeffrey, like we always kind of hit that like, hey, we're a locally owned local company, blah, blah, blah. And I think that now the customers are, it seems to matter that, to them in a way that it didn't before. And so I really appreciate that. That's been really cool to see the neighborhoods kind of rise up and, and help us out in that way and just show up and be like, I'm, I'm, I'm supporting you. I'm here to support you. So that's been really encouraging. So uh, I'm the only person working the store right now, and I've got a customer up here. Uh, I wanted to get that a uh, couple of things in uh, just to follow up with what you were talking about, about games that have been selling. Uh, so when we built our two-player rack, initially it was filled just with two-player games. We've since done some research and found out games that are playable by more than two people, but happen to also be excellent with two people, and we've added those to there. So like Lost Cities is on the rack now, even though it wasn't before. Uh, and a new category that's come through uh, for us that we've seen a lot of movement on is kind of like romance games uh, have, have done really well. Like we've sold a lot of Fog of Love and Star Crossed. Uh, we just saw uh, Cinder come out, and that's got some excitement. So uh, that's a new category for us uh, that, we've, that we've seen like kind of multiple games in that there's been interest in. Uh, yeah, kind of I'm relational. Pretty... I'm not sure how to explain that exactly, but like relational games where I'm getting to know the other person or where almost like soft role-playing games too not like what i mean is like a board game that has some role-playing elements has been really awesome and the other one that i wanted to mention is roll and rights are well they do all those things mm. like most roll and rights work really well at two player they have a classic feel i'm rolling dice i'm getting kind of that i don't know positive feedback of making a roll um so roll and rights have also been really big for us like i know whiz kids and i'm i'm in trouble because i can't remember the name but they have that new pinball roll and write that just came out and i've just been selling it like crazy because it's it's a roll and write with pinball like that's that alone is classic right so um anything that kind of like yeah there, there's kind of like this need for almost the comfort food of 
gaming right now i'm seeing uh so that's that's something kind of new where everything used to be kind of pushing more and more into these like super heavy thematic lots of plastic pieces games and suddenly i'm even seeing those customers be like give me something that's comfort food i need comfort food right now so i'm gonna go help this nice person uh if you want to move into the next bit in our notes and i will be right back i'm sorry everybody oh it's good uh in fact part of those notes so the next thing we're going to talk about maybe a little bit is kind of store conditions and one of the things i have on that list a huge dramatic shift that's happened uh, for retailers is that we just can't staff like we used to because um, we're not often getting the dollars we had. Um, and and just because events were a big part of that too, like we just aren't staffed the way we used to be. Um, so one thing to think about as you are looking from a publisher standpoint for games is it's more critical than ever uh, that your game is able to sell itself off of the box. Um, because sometimes, more than it used to be, there's one person working in the store, they're checking out customers, um, and it is harder to get that personal uh, time with all the customers who are coming in the store. I, I That's somewhat true now, but I'm really worried about that as we enter into the holidays. Um, because a lot of ways, holidays, a lot of retailers are looking to, to make up the losses financially that we had earlier in the year. Um, and so we can't just use our normal level of labor for the holidays. And so it's going to be really important that games are able to, customers are able to pick up. I mean, that's always been true, right? But it's even more crucial right now that customers are able to pick up a box and understand what this game is, because unlike normal, we may, as staff, be able to not be able to get to the customers as quickly and easily. Um, so that would be one thing I definitely uh, would put out there. Another thing related to that is that there are customers who are much more tentative about even picking up boxes. There's a there's a general new sense, and I, I think that we found that surfaces isn't really the primary way that COVID is being transmitted, but there's still just this general sense of like, I don't want to touch things, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, and I've even found sometimes if I have the space where I will face a game now and then next to it, I will have that same game with the reverse displayed so that customers can see the back of the box and kind of learn about that game um, without needing to pick it up. Because I'm just noticing a lot of Certain customers have a lot of tentativeness about even picking up a box, which um, that's just something completely new. Like, you know, in, in retail, so much of it often is about get get it in the customer's hand. And also as retailers, um, like as a staff, I don't always feel even comfortable handing a game to a customer because I don't know what their kind of boundaries are right now. Um, so, yeah, so that's definitely something to think about. Um, Brian, I was just talking about how uh, due to COVID because you had to step out uh, labor and staffing is much tighter. Um, oh, it's just me. It's just me now. <laughs> and so what that means is that it's even more crucial that games are able to sell themselves because sometimes we just aren't able to get to that customer to talk about the game. Oh, um, yeah. So I, uh, it, go on. Sorry. I, I, I learn maybe two dozen games in the, over the course of a year, if I'm lucky. Uh, and largely, I learned them at conventions, and there have not been conventions. Oh, that's also a huge point. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, 
as a result, I've been selling a lot of older games off of my shelf because those are the ones that I know that I've learned over the past couple of years uh, that I can sell to customers that come in. But I, I know there was a stretch. I had worked, I'd worked like 134 days straight. Uh, because, I mean, so stores are in a desperate spot, folks. Uh, even those of us that got PPP, which we did not because we're owner-operated here, but we got a disaster loan, which was nice. Uh, even those of us that, that got some kind of relief, stores are by and large in a desperate spot. Even though I said that my numbers are up, they are, but I'm busting my butt to keep them that way. Uh, right. I've, got an empty, I've got an empty cafe next door uh, that is entirely overhead and no revenue. It's, a, it's all expense. And, uh, yep. and the store doesn't make enough money to cover the store and the cafe with nothing else going on. So any store that you've got that relies on uh, events and space or food, especially, or if it's a cafe, they're, they're, in, re they're in a really hard, hard time right now. Uh, and uh, staffing definitely figures into that because we had a staff of three, and, the, and it's been me. Uh, yep. I get a business partner now that comes in uh, once a week to cover me for one day, so I have one day off. And I spend that day uh, resupplying uh, things that were out of here in the shop. I'm sorry that you're that. I'm sorry, Brian. That's rough. That's really rough. Yeah. You got to um, do it, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And there were there were times where we've gotten a little better. Like we there was a point where it was like that where I was it was just me and my partner essentially total. Um and we've been able to slightly staff up, but I think it's just really important for people to understand how much more limited we are um for staffing and so we are really relying on board games and, it, and the the convention thing's huge. I've never felt this blind going into the holidays about what games I wanted to stock. Um, and I tried to do as much research as I could online, but I've just, I've never felt this blind um, going into the holidays. And it, it's it's the most guessing, I've, which makes me tense because also, this holidays is really do or die uh, for us and for, I think, a lot of retailers. And so you don't want to be going into a do and die situation with guesses on what games you need. Um, so yeah, um, another thing that is like really different uh, in my store, at least, is we actually don't because I don't know how your store is laid out, but because of the whole six foot distance and lining people up, we don't really have a big like kind of cash wrap space with lots of impulsy mm. types items anymore. We had to like move all of that away. Um, and so that kind of like impulse area for all of our stores is kind of gone. And also it's because people aren't, they aren't at that counter as long to like kind of browse and get, oh, I see this thing over here. It just, that whole part of retail is gone. That kind of impulse at the cash wrap sales. Um, we can do that with like one or two items, but we purposely can't have a bunch of people crowding up. Like, I don't want to put a game at the cash wrap, and then I'm checking out a customer, and another customer wants that game, right? Mm -hmm. And so it forces me to spread that stuff out. Um, so that's another thing to think about, because I know a lot of retailers, or a lot of publishers think about that impulse area. Like, that's always where they're trying to get their game at, right? Um, and that area essentially doesn't exist right now. Yeah, for, for us, right uh, at cash wrap, uh, we, we installed a... Uh, a really nice dice uh, display, a light-up dice display for kind of the higher-end metal and stone stuff. Uh, and that's what's sitting there. We have only been really in two situations since uh, since we opened back up for sales where we've had 
any reasonable number of people in the shop at any one time. Uh, and that's free RPG day, where we had to limit people uh, coming in uh, the door. And then for our anniversary event, uh, which was a, a few weeks ago, uh, where again, we had to kind of keep, keep the numbers down. Uh, but I think uh, when we did free RPG day, I think we were limited to eight people in the shop at any given time, eight shoppers plus me. Uh, and then uh, we were around the same uh, for, uh, for the anniversary. The guys from the Dice Tower came up for the anniversary, and that was nice. And we talked about um, getting the knowledge about what he needed to stock and the types of games that are good coming through. I kind of picked uh, Tom's brain a little bit. Steve Bonacore came down from Boynton uh, 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 for that uh, event also and hung out for a little bit. Uh, and we talked a little bit of shop and how we miss conventions a lot. And so I think he had something going like almost every a couple of times a month. So he's thinking he said he missed like 20 conventions this year. Uh, but uh, yeah, I believe. Yeah, it. no, you're, you're right. I mean, we, we, we really have to knuckle down and do the research. Um, we um, did, I'm sure you participated in the, the Asthma Day sale that happened last month. Oh, yeah, that was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, so yep. yeah, that, that, was, that, was, that was really nice. Uh, the thing about that sale is almost all of the games that were on sale in there were kind of staples. They were kind of things that, uh, that if you were a board gamer, were already on your shelf. And the way that the sale worked was you needed to find three of those games that you <laughs> wanted to pick up. Uh, realizing that probably you already had a bunch of them as well. So it was, it, was, it was very good for new people, which was great because we're seeing a lot of new people. Uh, I mean, I sold a lot of just base set Catan over lockdown to people who are just discovering Euro games the first time. Absolutely. Uh, and the, uh, that particular sale, the Asmodee sale, enabled us to move out a lot of uh, gift games for people that were intended uh, from hardcore gamers uh, to come in to move stuff out like that. Uh, but apart from that, we haven't had a crowding issue uh, in the store, or that kind of stuff. But when yeah, it, when we're, it, only, we're only running into that on the weekends and it's mm. it's never too bad it's never gotten to the point where i've needed to have like an employee necessarily monitoring that's been helpful too is people are respectful and you're like one of our stores can only have uh 16 people in it and the other store can only have a dozen and then spokane i think is in a similar place i oversee the seattle area store so i'll have more knowledge about them um and so uh i am worried though about holidays and about yeah again we were just talking about staffing and if i need somebody who is monitoring the line um then that's going to be a thing but that also could be an opportunity uh we we would go to a lot of convent we went to penny arcade expo every year and stuff and we would run line games uh you know um when loser banana was really big um the looney labs the robot i'm a robot one which is bad right now because you have to handshake people but still uh any kind of like line game might be an opportunity that is something that publishers could actually put together pretty rapidly and might actually be really good for retailers as we hit the holidays and we may actually have lines standing outside our store to get in. So that might be something definitely to think about as well. I guess another thing that happened over lockdown was we got hooked up with Asmodee Direct, uh, which we had not been uh, previously. Um, so we're, we're getting all of the different Asmodee uh, titles coming in directly from them. And they're pushing out new stuff at a pretty high velocity. And of course, just in general, tabletop game releases over the last few years have been a fire hose, right? So, there's been, so we, we've, always had to, we've always had to do our research 
you know, I, I, I rely very heavily on uh, reviews, sites, and awards, uh, and BGG scores especially. I, I try to run any new solicitation past BGG at least once so I can get some kind of idea of, uh, you know, is this a really solid game I'm bringing in? Uh, and uh, that makes a, a big deal for us because, like we said, without conventions uh, and, and, or the ability to demo stuff, I don't have a firsthand uh, experience with a lot of the stuff that's coming out, especially anything new. And it's so much easier to be able to sell something that you've played. Um, yes. And that makes a big you know, something this brings to my mind, too, that is really important for publishers to know, it's always been important, but more important than ever is those game sales sheets that they're sending into distributors that are giving all the details about a game. That needs to be super detailed for us right now because there's nothing worse right now than when I look at a distributor's uh, explanation of a game and there's almost no information there. Uh, because again, we haven't been going to conventions and stuff to actually get our hands on a lot of this stuff. And so I need every piece of information. And I know, unfortunately, there are some publishers who they seem to just phone it in as far as details about their board games that they give to distributors. And I would really push on that and encourage people to be getting more detailed about that information that is being displayed. Like, seriously, you should ask, if you're a publisher, you should ask to see what your game looks like to retailers on their website, um, because that is going to matter a lot for your numbers. Um, so, yeah. just Something else that's interesting in terms of information, something that maybe we hadn't asked about before, is weight. Because we're shipping stuff now, and we're listing stuff in our online stores, and part of the things that gets figured in for calculating shipping costs is how much does the product weigh. Big time. Uh, and that was not a piece of information that we asked about before. Yep, absolutely. Um, another so thing to we, think about... Did we have a question? Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say another thing to think about for design real quick, it's probably the last big thing um, to me, is making any games that are Zoom playable uh so any games where people can actually and there's only a few of these but if there were more i think they do well if there are games where one player kind of owns that game and they're zooming the tabletop and other people are participating in that game those games have a huge potential right now because people do kind of they want that board game feel i mean that's why things like at least within my friend group, we play a lot of Jackbox, right? And those kinds of games because it gives us some of that board game feel. Um, but more board games that have that ability. And even connected to that is making sure your components are like obvious and big and bold and bright so that when they're on camera, you can you can see what you're looking at. So those are things that are probably good in the age of streaming anyways. Um, but they are also important for people who are just playing at home now and trying to like Zoom party with their friends. And, and, and you, know, you, you touched on it before when we were talking about, you know, uh, before uh, the talk, which was um, obviously if, if you're trying to sell somebody a game that you can't open up and show them, uh, and I mean, that is still helpful uh, in, in uh, pandemic times, like have, if you were to send a, a copy of your game to our cafe to add to our game library, we would open it up and we could show the components to people who did come in, but we probably yep. couldn't demo it. Exactly. Uh, so it, it needs is, to be touchless is, demoing. Um, but games that are, that, that, that are simple, uh, that, you can, that you can teach relatively quickly, or at least explain the concept around gameplay really quickly, 
they're always going to you're always going to have a better chance to sell a game when you can explain in a minute or two to the customer in the shop here's basically the idea of this game and how it works and if they can grok that uh you've got a much better chance of, of them walking out of the store with it so uh, a, a design that's simple uncomplicated that doesn't have a whole lot of components or worldly bits going on but still has uh kind of a, a, a table presence about it from from a, uh, a graphic standpoint or that's striking in some way because it's got a neat design element that is eye-catching all of that i mean that that stuff kind of sells uh whether it's, it's, a lot it's or not. there's a lot of things that like already were good to do but now more so yes. um and also in a way that maybe before there were multiple directions you could go and now it's much more narrow and it needs to be focused on so yeah. i'm ready for questions i mean uh, other stuff too but i wouldn't want to miss any important questions so yeah, if you got a question let, let's let's rock it okay yeah i do have a couple uh first of all this one's pretty simple at least in terms of the words and it is what moves you to stock a new game released in 2020 uh, well, a lot of it is the things we just talked about that are the kinds of games I'm now looking for. Like, if it's a two-player game right now, I'm almost definitely going to take a risk on it. If it's a roll-and-write, I'm almost definitely going to take a risk on it. Um, if also the cover art, like, that's a hard one, but, like, thematically, if the cover art just looks right to me, I, I like, if you're not spending budget on cover art right now, you're in big trouble. Uh, that one's a really important one. Um, and then, again, I do a lot of that research um, uh, that he was talking about, that Brian was talking about going on Board Game Geek. Although a lot of my customers are, like, entry level. So sometimes if I see a bad Board Game Geek score, that doesn't mean anything to the customer who is looking for something a little more simple. Um, but yeah, uh, and I actually, I mean, again... It's really important that distributor information is actually pretty important because I'm I'm going through distributors and putting in my pre-orders and yeah I'm clicking back and forth to Board Game Geek and all that kind of stuff but actually in a lot of ways that's that's one place. Another one is um, the magazines that all the distributors put out. Like things like GTM are very important right now. Uh, like I make all my staff read those. I read them very carefully. Um, there are quiet times in the store right now because especially during the weekdays when businesses and, um, having that magazine at hand just to like flip through, uh, like I'm, it's more important now when there are those articles explaining a game to me than was before. Cause before I would often play that game at a convention and that doesn't exist right now. So does that kind of answer that question? Go ahead, Brian. Oh, I, I, I would definitely agree with everything you said. I doubled down on all of that. Uh, I think I'd also add that uh, because we are seeing a lot of new people coming in, uh, games that uh, have a nostalgia or are tied to a familiar license uh, have been doing really well. And I will, uh, I don't want to say lower my standards, but I will, I will bring in, uh, like you said, a, a game with a slightly lower BGG score because it's two-player or because it deals with an intellectual property that I know that a lot of our uh, customer base or people that are similar to, to people that are in our customer base would, uh, would interface with and like. Uh, and again, I go back to those, uh, those kind of romance relationship things. I would give those a look too because we've got a lot of couples that are looking to do things together. Uh, and I would, I would give a lot of games like that a second look as well. And something that hits me, and game designers hate this, so it's, it's, it like works against them in a little bit, but Right now, because people are looking for those more classic field games, it's actually helpful when a game can be like, it's 
Clue, but, or mm. it's like Monopoly, but, or, right? Like, oh, I've yeah. sold a ton of Small World because I've been selling Small World as a better risk, right? People, yep. people are right now looking for that connection. And it's also because there's a lot of those gateway entry level people and they need that hook of a thing that they know before they're going to jump into something they don't know right now. Yeah, we've we've had a similar thing, like you said, with with uh, we've moved a bunch of Mysterium because people are coming looking for something that is like Clue, but is but isn't right. So it's something that has a familiar uh, catch to it. The other thing that I would mention, and this is this, of course, has had been the case prior to lockdown, also, but it also uh, fits in, I think, with uh, with online shopping is uh, if your game has got a generally a, a lower price point, if it's a smaller box, if it's like a forty dollar or under. Those are the games that normally I would take a, a, a stronger position at anyway, uh, because uh, I've got less of a chance of somebody coming in and showrooming and looking at the game that's up on the shelf and oh, it's a hundred bucks. But you know, if I take, if I take out my phone, I might be able to save uh, enough to feed my family for dinner by purchasing it somewhere else. We see less of that now because we're trying to see more. We're getting more support that way. But the rule that I've had was that if the, if the game was under forty dollars. If somebody were inclined to see what it was being discounted for online, they'd find that the savings was not enough to dissuade them from making the purchase in the shop. I think it's a stronger argument now because we're seeing a lot less of that because we are seeing more support for the local shop, but it's a stronger argument for shipping uh, because if the game is light uh, and doesn't cross one of these USPS uh, thresholds for shipping, you can affordably send it out. If it's a role-playing game, it's a book, and that's great. You can send it by media mail. But if it's a box game and it goes over five pounds, the shipping costs are going to go way, way up, especially if you're uh, going to be sending it overseas. So I would watch price points uh, and and weights uh, on games uh, to help sell stuff as well. I need to add another really important category that I feel remiss for not mentioning, and that is games that parents can play with their kids is like crucial right now. I can't even, we have sold an immense amount of like My First Castle Panic and like Haba games and that sort of thing. Um, so anything that parents and kids can come together or even teens and parents can come together and that kind of connects with the family games we were talking about before. But it's crucial because parents are, I've sold a ton of timeline as like, you mm. know, like, do you need something educational, but that pretty much runs itself with your kids? Like you need, you need a break because <laughs> parents can play timeline and they don't actually have to like, I don't know, control what's going on um, in, a, in a way. And so anything that's like that, that's like a game for parents with kids is also really, really good right now. And especially if there's I, like I, an educational touch it doesn't have to be like full-on educational but just a touch of educational like if i can just say hey this is really good for math or hey this like teaches this one thing a little bit um that's huge because parents are also really concerned because of how schooling is going right now yeah i 100 I, I agree with that and on, and on the role-playing game side we've seen that that mirror itself really well too right so we have sold a lot of quest uh, we sold a lot of No Thank You Evil. We sold a lot of the Young Adventurers guides for D&D uh, because the family is home and the parent that role-played uh, wants to teach their hobby to their kids. And it's something that they can all kind of do together and take up a lot of time. Uh, I, I want to say a little bit similar to the Jigsaw thing, but on the RPG side, my best-selling RPG over lockdown has been Thousand-Year-Old Vampire because you can play it by yourself. 
and it's and it's gorgeous and cool. And uh, even when the price went up on it after it got nominated for a slew of awards, it didn't matter. Uh, and we sold through caseloads of Thousand Year Old Vampire. And I, 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 yeah, one player I, games I, just generally. And like those D&D, yeah. like the books that you can go through, adventure books, yeah, all that, that kind of stuff. Great. Yep. Yep. Those have all done really well too. I would love to see more games kind of in that line where it's kind of a solo playable RPG or, or an exercise, a writing exercise in that way. And it's it, done really in well. a lot of ways, it's an opportunity because kids, parents are always, even before this, concerned about screen time, right? Like screen time is this like boogeyman. And now with their kids doing school online, it just it feels like even more screen time. So they're like, please give me a thing that I can give my kid to do that is not screen time. So, yeah. All right, let's go to quite. We need to hit questions if there's more. So. Yeah, there are a couple of more. Um, first one, would it be beneficial for publishers to market bits and mortar a bit more loudly? in order to help use PDFs as a draw to your stores? I mean, did, and, and if you need clarification... Would it help if publishers were marketing the stores? Is that essentially the question? So for, for, for bits and mortar. So, so like, the, for, for specifically for RPGs where you get the PDF oh, if the yep. customer buys the hardcover book. So yeah, we're, we're a bits and mortar partner. Um, and we honestly probably uh, don't utilize it to its full effectiveness, uh, but it's certainly greatly appreciated when we do. Um, quite honestly, when we were soliciting out for pre-orders uh, on stuff is, is the most common time when we would do that, right? The book isn't out yet, but the PDF is out. So you commit to buy the book now and we can hook you up with the PDF. Yep. Uh, so, so if the question is marketing bits and mortar more to stores so that stores are reminded about it and aware about it because it's something that we can forget about, or if it's something more marketing toward the consumer so that they remember to ask and say, listen, is this a bits and mortar partner? That is a question I'm getting a lot more often from customers coming into the shop for RPGs is, you know, uh, is such and such game a bits and mortar partner? Like we just had Cortex come out and I had people asking about, you know, is Cortex going to be a bits and mortar partner? Well, they aren't, but you do get the PDF when you buy the book because there's a code in the inside cover for it. Uh, so I think that is always appreciated. Uh, and I think that the more awareness there is around stuff like that, the greater opportunities there are to get these pre-sales on new products. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, marketing that both uh, to stores for awareness and to customers would be a good thing. Yeah, that I, any marketing is always a good thing, but yes, definitely. Great. Okay, uh, one more question, I think. Uh, would you, as retailers, actually like to receive... Uh, additional marketing information about independent games uh, being mailed directly to you? Like, so for us, yeah, I mean, you can always email us and we'll take a look. Um, it just depends on the, the terms and what, what, what the plan is, like what, what you want to do. But I love bringing in indie games if possible to kind of, especially because a lot of times indie games are how I can differentiate myself a little bit from competitors because not every store will necessarily have them. Um, so yes. Yeah, no, exactly. And another thing that's happened over the course of a lot. Oh, Sorry. I was going to say, especially if any of those indie games hit into the themes and stuff we just talked about, because we need more of those types of games. And a lot of times indie games, because we're talking about kind of like classic-ish stuff, and indie games, and I love indie games, often are pushing the envelope 
you know, which is great and awesome, and that's what indie games should do a lot of times. But right now, if somebody came to me and said, I have this indie game that's just, like, a really good roll and write, yes, okay, absolutely, so... Yeah, uh, uh, there were real challenges with distribution, especially over the early part of lockdown. Uh, like we had some orders that just took weeks and weeks and weeks to get to us, and uh, outages on product are continue to be a problem. One of the things that's happened over the course of lockdown, you know, that I did with with our, some of our disaster funds that came in was I contacted publishers and designers cor uh, directly when I wanted to get a hold of stuff. Like we just we just brought in Neverland, uh, uh, fifth edition. Uh, from Andrew McNeil, and we had to sign up with a to get an account with Simon and Schuster, which we didn't have before. Uh, now that's not an indie. Simon and Schuster is obviously that's a big outfit, but we've also hooked up directly with maker with the makers of Quest, uh, and with a bunch of other uh, small publishers and designers. Uh, and even under normal circumstances, we'd want to support indie publishers because, uh, like we just said, uh, it is one of the things that differentiates us from the Target down the street or the other game store that's down the way. Is we have a, a a big section of neat stuff that you can't find anywhere else. Uh, and we like to stay on top of that stuff and we play it, uh, quite honestly. So yeah, without a doubt, I would love to hear from uh, from indie publishers and designers about bringing stuff in. Uh, and I will generally be more disposed uh, to trying uh, to find ways to afford to bring that stuff in. It just needs to be something that fits into my budget, right? Uh, so a like, good way to... Oh, sorry, Brian, go on. Oh, sorry. I'm just saying, like, for instance, like with Thousand Year Old Vampire, when I went through my first few orders on it, um, and it ran out uh, at IPR, uh, an opportunity to came up came up to purchase a large quantity of it uh, at once. And uh, I think if it hadn't been under lockdown and I didn't have a website, I wouldn't have pulled the trigger, but I did. And I'm glad I did because I sold through every copy. Uh, and uh, so I'm kind of more inclined to take risks like that if I know it's something that I'm going to be one of a few people that have it, uh, and as long as, and if I can, that's, I'm especially going to be motivated to do that if I can get some help from the designer or the publisher in promoting the fact that I've got it and it's available on my shop and on my website. Absolutely. I was going to say, also, uh, we do get solicitations from indies, which is great, and I we carry a lot. There's some games that are some of our top sellers that are indie games. Um, but also, sometimes it, we are understaffed, so being respectful of our time is something that sometimes I notice indies miss out on. And so uh, emailing, and I, often I can't just talk on the phone, essentially, is what I'm getting to with an indie publisher, indie designer, uh, because we're also right now staffing our stores. Um, but one thing I have seen what one indie do is they have like just little YouTube videos that are like a couple of minutes. Not 30 minutes, not 20 minutes, right? I don't have that kind of time. But if you got like a two-minute video on YouTube or whatever that's like the elevator pitch of your game, I'm way more likely to watch that and take a look at the game. So that might be something also to think about that I've seen done at least once that was helpful to me is like I could just, like it was like their sheet of stuff they had and I could click on the link and look at like a little video about that game. Um, so, because I can't, again, conventions, I can't touch the games. I can't go around... Gen Con or Gamma and look for what's going to be the thing for me this year. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like you said, during the middle of the week when it's a little slower, you know, maybe I can spend some time on the phone. I generally like talking with people on the phone more than looking through emails. 
because that I, I don't want to uh, to sift through all that stuff because there's just way too much of it. Uh, so I will give you some time if I've got the time. But if if not, yeah, send me. A lot of times that phone call is this sounds really interesting. Now send me something to prompt me to take a look at it, and I'll follow up that way. Absolutely, exactly. Uh, so maybe reaching out, reaching out on the phone is good for the initial quick call, and then I we can like at our leisure. Uh, uh, check out and delve a little bit further into it on our own. Excellent. Yeah, that's absolutely Thank right. There. All right. uh, sure. Uh, yep. like to, yeah, go ahead. I didn't hear which name he said, so <laughs> uh, I can go. Uh, you can get in contact with me at uh, Patrick at unclesgames.com. Uh, you can follow me on like Twitter or direct message me on Twitter at tabletopphd. Uh, you can, um, I mean, I'm pretty, you know, if you send me a Facebook message or whatever, and it's in my, like, I don't know you messages and you kind of explain who you are, then I'm open to connecting that way too. I don't mind that. Um, so yeah, those are kind of the things. And then at unclesgames.com, you can also find store phone numbers, uh, and, um, store specific emails and that kind of thing. So yeah, Patrick at unclesgames.com is the easiest way to get connected with me though, I think. And you can connect with us uh, through our website, adventuregamestore.com. Uh, if you want to email me directly, adventuregamestore at gmail.com will get to me. Uh, you can reach me through Twitter, at ADVGamestore. Uh, or on Facebook, we have uh, an Adventure Game Store page. Or you can search for me, Brian Dalrymple, D-A-L-R-Y-M-P-L-E. Uh, and I'm always happy to talk to anybody. Excellent. Thank you both so much uh, for going through this with us. I think it was a really helpful panel, uh, and uh, I really appreciate the, the time that you've taken. And um, thanks so much. Thanks for hosting. Thank you.